Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using a pew Bible, it's found in front of you in the rack. It is page 1007. It's a privilege to be serving here at McLean and to open God's Word with you this morning, and not one that I have taken lightly. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was yet to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, 
was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he, grown, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's look to the God, our God in prayer. God of mercy, you promised never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Enable us to respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. Well, when James called me a few weeks ago and asked me to preach this Sunday... He said, I have some good news for you. We're preaching through Hebrews, and I'm not giving you Melchizedek. (laughs) He said, we're giving you Hebrews 11, which after I thought about it, 
might be harder because it's like being named manager of the New York Yankees. The, the expectation is the World Series and anything less is considered a disappointment. But we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and no words can be really heard without the work of the Holy Spirit. I have a question for you this morning as we consider this text together. And the question is this. Have you ever asked yourself, is Jesus really worth it? Have you been so disappointed or so discouraged by something in your life that made you question your faith in God? That's actually the context of the original audience to whom the letter of Hebrews was written. If you were here last week, you heard James read that context in verses 32 through 34 of chapter 10. Some of the things that were named were the people were suffering. They were being publicly exposed to insult and persecution. These Christians were mistreated. They were imprisoned. They had their property confiscated. And the writer at the end of chapter 10 calls these early Christians to persevere in their faith. He tells them this at a time when they are facing the real possibility of being martyred. That is, being put to death for the cause of Jesus. Many of them had probably been expelled from their Jewish families. They were suffering physically, socially, emotionally, financially, mentally. And you can imagine that many of them would have been asking that same question. Is Jesus really worth it? And some of them had given up. It was the reason why they had to be reminded in Hebrews 10, 25, to not stop meeting for worship as some had already done. You see, they were beginning to question, was Jesus really the promised Messiah? It would be easier to just shrink back to Jewish religion or to give up on God entirely. We all have this same problem, this great problem of how to face life and all of its circumstances, especially in an unknown future. And the question confronts us, how can we face life amidst all its disappointments, discouragements, and struggles? This is the great theme of the Bible. And it's a real book with real people and real problems and real answers. And the Bible claims that it and it alone has an answer to this question. And the answer to that question is in one word in this chapter. Faith. I want us to consider faith in three parts this morning. Looking at first the description of faith, the object of faith, and the perseverance of faith. First, the description of faith. Verse 1 describes faith 
as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This word for assurance, it could also be translated confidence. And it is earlier in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Faith is described as assurance and confidence. It is a settled confidence that something yet to come will come. It is being certain in what God has promised, but not yet provided. It is the key to living between promises and the reality of those promises. Each of the 16 individuals that are named in this chapter, they were given a promise, a word from the Lord to believe. And they were to live their life in light of this promise, to let these promises affect their mind, to let these promises affect their hearts, and to change the actions in their life. Two ways that faith is described in this chapter The first one is knowledge. Verse 1 uses the word conviction, which actually means certainty, meaning to validate through evidence. The King James Version actually translates this phrase as evidence. And verse 3 uses the word understand, which means to think or reason. So you could say, you could paraphrase that faith by evidence and reason perceives that there must be an unseen spiritual reality. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us we were created in the image of God with knowledge endued with reasonable souls. Here we see that faith actually includes the mind using rationality. And that's not something that is typically associated with Christians. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, some people think that you have checked your brain at the door and you have taken a leap into the dark. Faith is misused today because it's not set against reason or rationality. Faith is more but it is not less than thinking. Faith comes through reasoning, we are told here. The second way that faith is described in the opening verses is that faith is belief in God. It's trusting that not only does God exist, but believing that He is good. It's not simply knowing intellectual facts about God, but it's trusting Him. It's why James says even the demons know God, but they did not have saving faith. You see, it is not enough to know that Jesus is a Savior. He must be your Savior. And that's what occurs in Hebrews chapter 11. In each of these 16 characters that are named, God shows up and gives them a command or gives them a promise to believe. He interrupts their life with a personal encounter 
that makes them ask difficult questions about what they are doing in life and why they are doing the things that they are doing. God shows up and asks each of these characters, do you trust me? Are you aware of that choice in your life? Have you encountered a personal God that asks you, do you trust me? It came to Abram when God said, I want you to leave a country that is your home. It came to Noah when he said, I want you to build an ark even though it's never rained. And those same questions or different kinds of questions may come to us. You see, it's easy to coast along in life, taking the path of least resistance, putting our head in the sand and never asking important questions. Have you asked questions in life? Sometimes the things that will trigger those questions in life, it may be a job loss. It may be an illness in your family. It may be the death of a loved one. And you begin to ask important questions. Do I believe in God? Where did we come from? Where are we going? For you see, how you answer those questions determines how you live in between the beginning and the end. If we came from nothing and we go to nothing, then nothing really matters in the middle and everything is meaningless. Have you been asked that question yet from God? Do you trust me? Sometimes it may not even come in one of these tragic experiences in our lives. Sometimes it comes in a still, small voice. Sometimes it comes from simply the reading of God's Word. God came to Noah. He came to Moses. And He came to Abram. And He interrupted their lives, causing them to ask important questions about life. So faith, we see, is described as knowledge and trust. And just one side note here. Faith is not unique to Christianity or even religion. Faith extends to all of us. What do you believe? How do you know that it is true? You see, everyone has a theology of life. And you cannot disbelieve in God without believing in something else. Atheists may give Christians a hard time for not knowing every answer, but are they sure that God does not exist? Have you looked under every rock in the universe for God? Or do you say God may exist, but He's not done a very good job of revealing Himself to us. Are you sure? There is an element of faith in everything that we believe. My parents are both believers, and my father is a minister, and so on many family trips, we were forced to listen to a lot of sermons. <laughs> One of my favorites was a man we called Policeman Bob. 
and I believe his name was Bob Vernon. He was a former police officer in Los Angeles. And I remember him saying in one sermon that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. He said, look outside at the car on the pavement in the parking lot. You believe it just oozed up out of the pavement. Whereas I believe it was designed and built by someone for a purpose, which takes more faith. You see, all of us use faith every day in our life, even in simple activities like driving to work. You believe that your car will start. You believe that the bridge will not collapse. It can be shown that we all have faith. The question then becomes this. In whom or what do you place your faith? And that's the second point this morning. The object of faith. All throughout this chapter in Hebrews 11, each of the men and women named, they exercise faith in some way, taking God at his word in faith to leave countries, to sacrifice sons, or in crossing even the Red Sea. These signs, these symbols, these promises, these rituals were all pointing towards Christ. You see, as faithful as the people in the Old Testament may have been, in verse 13 and 39 it says, they did not receive what was promised. And the following verse 40 says, God provided something better for us. It says they had not yet received the promise, which is singular in verse 39. They received answers to promises, plural, but they still waited for the promise, singular, who is Christ. The promises were partly fulfilled, but not fully until the Messiah, Jesus, came. And some of these promises will not be fully consummated until Jesus returns in his second coming. The best was still yet to come. Let's look at one example here in verse 28 which says, by faith, he, referring to Moses, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What was the promise in this verse? And how does it point to Jesus? Remember the story? The Israelites were living in Egypt. And Pharaoh, seeing that they were multiplying and becoming a great people, enslaved them. And so Pharaoh tortured them, enslaved them, even at one point killing many of their sons. And finally God heard their cries. And so he raised up Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses went to Pharaoh and he said that. And he said that Israel was God's firstborn son. And unless he let the Israelites go, Pharaoh would experience what it was like to have a firstborn son destroyed. The nine plagues came and went, and finally the tenth plague came, which is what is mentioned here in Hebrews, the destroyer. And what God had said is the firstborn in every household 
both in the homes of the Egyptians and the Israelites, will surely die unless they sacrifice a lamb, they eat the meat, and they sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death, the destroyer, comes, if your home is under the blood of the lamb, the angel of death will pass over you. And the Passover became a yearly ordinance. But what does it mean? Could a cute little lamb really protect them? Could it really be an acceptable sacrifice? Well, the prophet Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray, but a servant will show up and God will lay on him our iniquity and he will be oppressed like a lamb led to the slaughter. And do you remember at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, when John the Baptist is baptizing at the Jordan River, and Jesus appears, what does John say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You see, all of these promises, everything in the Old Testament is finding its fulfillment in Christ. They were all clues, all shadows, all types, and it all came together in one wonderful day. And that is the message of Hebrews. Jesus must be the object of our faith. The object of their faith was the Lamb. And the object of our faith is the Lamb, who we know to be Jesus Christ. You may say that God hasn't told me to leave my home. You may say that God hasn't told me to sacrifice my son. But he has given you his word. He has told you first and foremost that Jesus is his beloved son. To believe on him for the forgiveness of sins. And you will be saved. Do you believe this? Looking now at the final point. The perseverance of faith. Hebrews frequently encourages and it exhorts these early believers in Jesus to persevere amidst great suffering and persecution. They are encouraged to remain faithful as the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 did. You see, we are justified by faith, but then we also live by faith. Trusting in a sovereign God who is both powerful and loving. You see, what do you believe about God? It's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven. In the beginning of that prayer, we are declaring that we believe that God is both powerful and he is good. If you let that settle into your soul, it will radically change your life. You see, God wants you to trust every area of your life, every square inch to Him. He wants control of your finances. He wants you to give Him control of your children, your vocation, everything in your life. 
And that's hard to do. I was challenged early on in life to do this because even as a child, I felt the internal call to go into ministry. And for several reasons, with my father being a pastor, there was no way that I wanted to go into ministry. I bargained with God repeatedly, saying that I'm excited to be a Christian, but it's going to be a long time before you ever get me in full-time ministry. So leave me alone. I'm glad to be a Christian. I'll serve you in law or I'll serve you in communications. But what I was doing was drawing boundaries. And as I really thought about it after my junior year of college and through a wide variety of experience, I first surrendered my life to God, not just for my salvation, but for my vocation. Because if you really reason it out, think about it. If I give you a million dollars and I trust you with a million dollars, my salvation, but then I say, but I'm not really going to trust you with this pencil. It doesn't really make that much sense. If I can trust God for my salvation, then can I also not trust Him with my vocation. So how do we persevere amidst trials and tribulations and hardships of continuing to live in a fallen world? The answer is faith. It's why Paul in Ephesians says, use the shield of faith to put out fiery darts. The Apostle Peter expresses the same idea in the words, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resisteth, whom resist steadfast in the faith. And John says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith is bringing the reality of who God is to your present situation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great minister in the 20th century in London, he said that Abraham realized if your relationship with God is right, it doesn't matter what happens. Abram wasn't told where he was going. He had nothing in his hands. He had nothing tangible, only a promise. He didn't know where he went, but he knew with whom he went, as one Puritan said. This is the great principle of faith. And you know this, you get this. Think about it even in love, that it doesn't matter if we live in a shack or a palace, as long as there is what? Love. It matters who you're with. Martin Lloyd-Jones was also a physician, and he used the illustration that it's the same way that a family can be so stressed out over the care of a loved one. But when the doctor walks into the room, there is an immediate sense of calm because of the one who is in the room with you. The same is true in your relationship with God. If God is with you, it does not matter where you are. He created the world and He knows you personally and He loves you and He's concerned for your well-being. Let me conclude with this illustration. There was a Chicago lawyer named Horatio Spafford who lived in the late 1800s. Horatio and his wife, Anna, 
They were fairly well known in the city of Chicago. He was a lawyer and he was also involved in the ministry of D.L. Moody, the famous preacher. In 1870, his only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. A year later, a fire struck the great Chicago fire and all of his holdings in real estate were destroyed. Aware of the toll that these disasters were taking on his family, he decided that it would be a good idea for them to take a holiday and to assist D.L. Moody, who was on an evangelistic tour in England. Horatio and Anna planned to join Moody in 1873, and so they traveled to New York to board a ship where they were to set sail across the Atlantic. But before they got on the boat, he was called away to a business development and not wanting to ruin the family holiday, Spafford persuaded his family to go as planned. He would follow on later. Anna and his four daughters boarded the boat and sailed east to Europe while Spafford returned to Chicago. Nine days later, Horatio received a telegram from his wife in Wells. It read, Saved Alone. On November 2nd, 1873, their boat had collided with an English vessel. It sank in only 12 minutes, and the lives of 226 people were taken. Anna stood on her, the deck bravely with her four daughters, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanetta. And her last memory had been of her baby being torn violently from her arms by the force of the waters. Anna was only saved by a plank which floated beneath her unconscious body. When the survivors of the wreck had been rescued, Mrs. Spafford's first reaction was one of complete despair. Then she heard a voice speak to her, You were spared for a purpose. And she immediately recalled the words of a friend, It's easy to be grateful and good when you have so much, but take care that you are not a fair-weather friend to God. Upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio, of course, boarded the next ship out of New York to join his beloved wife. Bertha Spafford, which would be the fifth daughter of Horatio and Anna, born later, explained that during her father's voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge and said, A careful reckoning has been made, and I believe we are now placing, passing the place where the ship was wrecked. The water is three miles deep. Horatio then returned to his cabin and he penned the lyrics to a very familiar hymn, words that come from 2 Kings 4.26. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul this morning? Because you have placed your faith in a sovereign God who sent His only Son to die on the cross for your sins 
to live the life that you should have lived, to die the death that you should have died. Will you trust this God? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word that reminds us that we are not saved by our own power. That we are not saved because of our own goodness. But we are saved by your power and by the goodness of Jesus Christ. Help us to look to our Redeemer in faith, trusting Him alone for our salvation and trusting Him with every area of our lives. We give you thanks for being a God who loves us, who redeems us, who makes promises and never breaks them. Amen.